At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through this three-week series, we're turning to the biblical book of Isaiah to discover how God's holiness, forgiveness, and love compel us to share Him with others. We'll come face to face with whatever's keeping us from answering God's call as Isaiah did, send me. You know, there's certain stories and people whose, whose lives that you encounter that are kind of so compelling that they kind of impact you, even long after they're gone. They're just kind of those stories that kind of stir your heart and make you think a little bit about your own life and your own journey. One of those people for me is the missionary C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd has a, a pretty fascinating journey. C.T. Studd was born to a wealthy British family in the 1800s. He was raised in kind of the upper class of Britain during the height of the British Empire. He studied at some of the best schools. And one of the other things about, so not only was he rich, not only um, was he well-educated, um, C.T. Studd was also a fantastic cricket player. In fact, he was one of the best cricket players that England had ever seen during his day and age. He was well-known across the entire country for his ability to play this sport. He was the kind of guy that had it all, right? He had fame, he was well-known, he had money, he had skill, he kind of had everything. He, he would be on par today with any of our kind of famous athletes in our society. Put a LeBron James, a Tom Brady, a you name it, someone that you like right? Like he would be on par with them. For most of his life, C.T. Studd was uh, uh, a kind of nominal Christian. Um, he kind of grew up when Christianity was kind of the main thing going on in Britain, and he kind of, you know, did his own thing until one day C.T. had a radical encounter with Jesus, and he gave his life to following Jesus. And for a little while, he kind of lived in that reality, continuing on in his fame and kind of his fortune until one day, C.T. Um, encountered the work of a man named Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was one of the first uh, missionaries out of Britain to uh, go to mainland China to spread the gospel. And Hudson Taylor had kind of written a book um, called China's Spiritual Need and Claim that Stud read kind of early in his young adult years at kind of the height of his fame and fortune. So moved by the need and feeling the call of the Lord, Stud decided to forsake everything, his wealth, his fame, his work, and to join a group of men known as the Cambridge Seven that would travel to spread the news among the Chinese. Stud would spend the rest of his life as a missionary seeking to spread the gospel in relative obscurity in the places that he was. He went to China for many years later. He moved and worked in India, bringing the gospel there Eventually, towards the end of his life, he actually pioneered work for Christ in the heart of Africa. He had a massive passion for bringing the gospel to people who had never heard it before. In fact, one of his famous sayings is, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That was Stud's mentality. And he forsook it all in order to be a light among, in his day, those who had never heard the gospel before. His life has always challenged me. In fact, his son-in-law, Alfred Bruxton, who served with him in Africa towards the end of his life, has a quote that's always struck me. He said, C.T.'s life stands as some rugged Gibraltar 
a sign to all succeeding generations that it is worthwhile to lose all this world can offer and stake everything on the world to come. He's got the sort of life that when you hear his story, it kind of forces you to ask the question, what actually like compels someone to do something like that? To give up all they have, to move to a place that's hard, challenging, where they're not known, not famous, where they don't have a lot, to work for the cause of Christ. I mean, imagine today, if you woke up and you read the headline on your news app that Cade Cunningham or... Aiden Hutchinson or some, some kind of burgeoning, well-known athlete in our region said, hey, I'm giving up all this career, I'm giving up all this money, and I'm going to some place nobody's ever heard of to share the good news of Jesus. I think most people would be like, what happened to you? Like, why on earth would you, do, don't you know how much better you could do with those resources here? What, what would cause someone burgeoning in their career growing in their fame to give it all up for the sake of Christ. Well, Studd actually said what was compelling to him. He famously noted, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. C.C. Studd had encountered Jesus and heard his call to the nations, and it changed his life forever. This morning, we're concluding a series that we've called Send Me, When God Calls Us to Go, where we've been looking at Isaiah chapter 6, when God called the prophet Isaiah to work as part of his mission and to spread a message among God's people. And we've been using this passage over the last few weeks to hear afresh God's call in our lives, to ask the sort of question that, that asks, what leads a person to surrender their life for the sake of Christ in the world? And what might compel us to be the sort of people that respond to God's call like Isaiah, here I am, send me. And we've been kind of picking apart this passage. And so if you haven't been on that journey with us, just let me recap a little bit where this passage begins. It begins with Isaiah seeing an incredible vision of God's glory. God's exalted on his throne, surrounded by fiery seraphim who are proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah is so compelled by this vision that it actually motivates him towards his response that comes later. And the thing we saw the first week is that the glory of God compels us to be the sort of people that say, here I am, send me. Last week we saw though that not only does Isaiah experience the glory of God, he experiences radically the grace of God. As he sees God in his holiness, it reveals his sinfulness. He cries out, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. He recognizes his sin, but God in his grace touches Isaiah in this symbol of forgiveness from the altar and Isaiah is cleansed. And what we saw last week is not only does God's glory compels us to go, but when we've experienced his grace the forgiveness for our sins that comes through faith in Jesus, that compels us to go. But today, we're going to wrap up our series by looking at the final couple verses in this passage and see kind of the third reason that compels us to be a people who say, here I am, send me. We have seen who God is. We've understood what God does in his grace. But today, today, you and I need to hear afresh the call of God. Because God's calling also compels us to go. Look at verse 8 with me. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? 
and who will go for us? Remember, just before this, Isaiah had experienced the grace of God, but suddenly now Isaiah encounters the voice of God. And God has a very specific question for Isaiah. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Two things that come just in this simple phrase that we need to be reminded of. One, this phrase reminds us that God actually has a mission and purpose that he wants to involve Isaiah in. God wants to send someone to his people to deliver a message to them. Israel up until this point had been walking in rebellion against God. God had created and designed Israel to be a light to the nations, but they had turned from that purpose. They sought and served other gods. And because of that, they were bringing disdain upon God's name across the earth. And God's decided that he was going to send a messenger to proclaim his truth among his people. God has a purpose and a mission. And he has a specific task for Isaiah in this passage. God is not asking Isaiah this question in kind of like a fretting, wondering way. When, when you hear this, this isn't God going like, well, who's going to go? Can, can I find anybody? Will anybody go? Somebody, please, somebody out there, will someone, someone? No, the question is specifically phrased as an invitation to Isaiah to participate in God's purpose and mission for him and really in God's larger and purpose, um, purposeful mission as well. Isaiah had a role to play, and God wanted to invite him into that reality. The question is an invitation. The question, though, also reminds us of God's larger and greater mission. And this is where Isaiah's role comes to play, but our role comes to play as well. One of the things this reminds us of is that our God is a missional God, meaning God engages our world with specific purposes intention, and intentions that he wants to see accomplished. Throughout the story of scripture, we see that God is on a mission. He has a purpose. He had a purpose for Israel. He had a purpose for Isaiah. He has a purpose for us that is part of his greater mission that he's working in the world, ultimately, that finds its pinnacle in Jesus. What is God's greater mission that Isaiah has a role to play a part of? Well, one of my favorite summaries of God's mission that we see throughout the story of Scripture is found in a little book called the Missional Manifesto that was um, a bunch of scholars and pastors got together to kind of articulate what do we see in Scripture about the nature of God and how he engages the world. And this is what they say about the, God's mission. I think it's a great summary and reminder for us. They say, we affirm that the, the missio Dei, that's a Latin word just for the mission of God, is the mission of the triune God to glorify himself. That's key. We saw it at the very beginning. God's purpose ultimately of what he does in the world is to glorify himself. His glory is ultimate. But God glorifies himself in this world by redeeming sinful humans and in the future restoring corrupted creation. This is the mission that God is on. From the very beginning of scripture to the very end, God is working to engage his fallen world that's broken because of sin and to redeem those he created in his image who are meant to rule over his world and restore that creation back to his intention. And God has a purpose for his people to play in that work. When he invites Isaiah into that purpose, it's to remind Israel of their purpose in God's greater mission. All of it builds to see God's mission accomplished. 
Isaiah actually reminds us just a few chapters later of God's vision to spread the knowledge of God across the world so that everyone could know who he is. Right? He writes in Isaiah 11:9, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God has always been on a purpose for all people to know the truth of who he is, to experience his goodness, to be redeemed in relationship to him, and to be part of his work of restoring the world that's been broken by sin. God ultimately accomplishes that mission in Jesus, but what we're reminded of today is God also uses his people, and all of us, like Isaiah, have a role to, be, to play. To come to know Christ and encounter God is to be invited in to God's missionary work. One commentator says this about Isaiah in this moment. He says that Isaiah finds that being joined to God means joining a missionary society. Isaiah has been brought in in order to be sent out. And I think that's key. Isaiah has been brought in in order to be sent out. If you're in Jesus today, if you've put your faith in him and trusted him and given your life to following him, if you believe he's king of the earth who died for our sins and rose from the dead, God has brought you into his family like Isaiah. He's rescued you and redeemed you, but he's also brought you in to send you out, to bring you to be part of his global purposes, of bringing the knowledge of him around the world. God has a purpose for each one of us, just like he had for Isaiah. God is still calling out to his people, who will go for us? Who will I send? And we're reminded that each one of us has been sent. It was Jesus who said in John 20, 21 to his fathers, followers, as the father sent me, even so I am sending you. If you're in Jesus today, you've been invited into God's family and you are now a part of his mission. You've been brought in in order to be sent out. But what can we learn from Isaiah to help us in that reality? Well, there's a couple things that I think we need to be reminded of just from these simple verses to embrace God's purposes for you and I. The first thing is this that we see in Isaiah, that you and I must listen for God's calling. We must listen for God's calling. Each of us have a role to play. They're not the same role. They're different roles. Each of us has a purpose that God wants to work in our lives. It bears repeating. If you're a Christian, you've been brought in to be part of God's mission, to experience the glory of God, to be transformed by the grace of God, is to be called by God in his purpose of spreading the good news of Jesus around the world. This is who we are. And I love the words of the great British preacher, Charles Spurgeon. He says this about Christians. He says, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it in your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friends. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash, excuse me, as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You either spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. To be brought in is to be sent out. 
to experience the grace of God is to feel a compulsion in your heart for the glory of God to be spread to the ends of the earth. It is inherent in our new birth. To be born again in the spirit of God is also to receive the spirit that leads us into mission for Jesus. Everyone who has truly been born again of the spirit of God will find within their heart a desire for God's fame and God's glory to be spread among those who do not know him. Now, you might not be perfect at that. It's not the action I'm talking about. It's the desire. So if you look deep within your soul and you don't have or see or find a desire to see the glory of God spread among people that do not know him, then I would join with Spurgeon and say, then I'm not sure if you're actually a Christian. I don't know if you've actually been born again because to be born again in the spirit is to also be born again into mission and to desire to see God's glory spread because, here, because you know how good God is, right? Isn't that the whole thing that built up? Isaiah saw the glory of God and he was blown away. He received the grace of God, recognizing he had no hope in himself to be forgiven. And yet God forgave him. And when he experienced that, it was so transforming for him. How could he not be surrendered to the work of bringing God's message to those that God would call? So, if you do not feel that desire, then I think we have to go back and say, have you heard the Lord? First, have you put your faith in him? But second, have you heard the call of God for your life? Have you sat with the Lord like Isaiah, where he might ask of you, this is what I desire for you. This is how I desire to use your life for my kingdom. This is how I desire to use your gifts for my global purposes. If we are to be a people who live as here I am, send me people, then we must be people who listen for the voice of God and who, as we hear it, surrender in obedience to it. Now, this doesn't require some like mystical out-of-body experience. You don't have to like go through a trance to hear the voice of God and understand his purposes for his life. He's given his word and he's given his spirit. He's given us the community to help us discern. Listening to the call of God simply requires surrendering, placing our lives before him, asking how it would be used, discerning that through his word, his spirit, community, wisdom, and others, and then seeking to walk in obedience towards it. I mean, Isaiah does that before he even knows what the mission is. I mean, I love, I love the words of one commentator here. He says, Isaiah did not know the nature of the mission God had designed for his emissary, the length of the responsibility, where this person must go, the content of the message, or the difficulty of the task that must be accomplished. Nevertheless, Isaiah immediately volunteered to go. When we've encountered God, when we listen for his voice, the posture we embrace is simply to say, here I am, Lord. Use my life in your purposes, however you want. And if you've seen God's glory, if you've experienced his grace, then you feel that desire to live surrendered to him, to be used by him for his purposes. So have you heard the call of God in your life? And have you embraced the position of surrender? 
The Christian life is one in which we grow more and more in our surrender before Christ. One of the things I love about this little phrase, here I am, is it's a phrase that we actually find throughout Scripture when God shows up and invites people into his purposes. When God encounters Abraham early in Genesis to draw him toward deeper into his faith and walk with Isaac, Abraham responds, here I am. When God shows up with Moses and calls to him from the burning bush, Moses says, here I am. When God shows up time and time again, and if you want a fun little study this afternoon, go through scripture, just search the words, here I am, and see how many times you see God's people respond in this sort of sense of availability. And I think it's such a key phrase, right? Because when you say something simple like, here I am before the Lord, Right, it, it is naturally acknowledging your present reality and then it's surrendering yourself to his purposes. This has actually just become a phrase that I use almost regularly and daily in prayer now. To sit before the Lord and to simply to say, here, here in this moment, this day, this time, not another day, not in the future, not some other time, just here I am, all of me before you. Use, just use me how you want to use me today. Right? That's, that's the posture that Isaiah takes. That's the posture that we're called to take, to sit before the Lord and simply say, here I am. I'm available to be used for your purposes because when God has changed your life, you want to be used so he can help change the lives of others. So we must listen to God's call. We must surrender to it. But then as Isaiah does that, God responds here with one simple command. Look at verse nine. Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and say to this people. It's here in our passage as Isaiah surrenders to the call of God that we encounter the command of God to Isaiah. God's mission for Isaiah is to go and to proclaim a message among God's people. The go is the imperative in the passage. It carries the force and command of God's voice and purpose for Isaiah. Isaiah's message is challenging. If you, if you keep reading on, he's essentially going to go deliver a message to the nation of Israel that they're going to reject, that God's actually going to harden their hearts and their ears to turn away from it. Isaiah's task is a significant one and challenging in the deepest regard. He's going to be rejected. He's going to face hostility. It is not going to go great for Isaiah. And yet, God calls him to go, and he lives surrendered to that call and mission. It is the call of God paired with the command of God that motivates Isaiah to live on mission for God and to spread the message that God gives him. And I think as we come to the close of this series, that's where we want to draw our attention to today, that it is the call of God and the command of God that motivates us to walk with God in, on mission with him and to be part of his work in the world. You see, you and I have received a calling and command just like Isaiah. And it's come from our King Jesus. I mean, if you're in your Bible, learn with me over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. This is one of those passages that I never get tired of going back to. And I hope you don't either. But those of you that might be new to it, this is Jesus' final words in the Gospel of Matthew before he ascends, and he gives his mission to his disciples. So they gather with him. We see in verse 16, on a mountain in Galilee. They worship him, and then Jesus shows up in verse 18, and this is what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Right? There's Jesus' claim. Hear it. All authority, not some authority, not just a little bit of authority, all authority. Jesus is saying, I'm king over everything. I died, I rose again. The claim of Christ is the claim that he is king over the whole earth. And then he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In the same way Isaiah received the command, we as God's people, as his church in Christ, have received the command of our risen king to go and make disciples. The reality is that for every person that has seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus, for every one of you that has received his grace through faith, you have also received the call and command of God to go and make disciples, to be part of his work of bringing the good news of the gospel to the nations and inviting them into a relationship with Jesus. And so I want, as we close this series and as we consider the posture of Isaiah to surrender, I want to invite us to once again consider our own posture before God's call on his church and his people. We have been given a command by our risen king. Are we surrendered to it? Are we the sort of people that say, here I am, send me? So several things I want to exhort us in as we study the call of Isaiah and reflect now upon Jesus' call for his church. A couple things I want to draw your attention to. First is this. The command that Jesus gives is clear. It is clear. In the original language, there is only one imperative in this passage, one clear command, and that is the verb, make disciples. The other three verbs that you encounter in this passage, go, baptize, and teach, are all participles that support the main command of Jesus. The command that Jesus gave his church, his people, his followers is clear. We are to make disciples. That is the imperative of the passage, but that imperative has a direct object. Sorry, we got to go back to English class again, right? But just, it's important for you to remember. The force of that imperative to make disciples falls upon a specific object that Jesus gives to his disciples. What is it? We are to make disciples of all nations. Now again, hear the word all, not some nations, not the nations we like, all nations. And that word for nations in the Greek is actually the word ethne. It's where we get our word ethnic from. It doesn't refer to socio-political nations. It actually refers to people groups, of which there are thousands across our world. And so the command that Jesus gives his disciples is very clear in Matthew 28. His people are to be about the work of making disciples of all people groups. In fact, earlier in Matthew 16, Jesus would say that the end will not come until that work is accomplished. That once all nations have heard, then the end will come. And so the command that Jesus gives his church is clear. We are to be about the work of making disciples and bringing the gospel to everyone and every nation, every people group that has not heard it. We cannot forget this. We cannot forget this. 
I mean, if you're part of our church, can you just lean in with me for a second? Because listen, I have a huge heart for our church to be on mission in Farmington Hills. I believe the core nature of the church is to be missional, to bring the good news and the light of Jesus into a community in such a way that it's saturated with his goodness because his people are there. It's why we organize our life groups in the way we do, and we encourage every life group to have a mission, to have a, a people that they're seeking to be the light of Jesus too, because we want to fill up every nook and cranny of Farmington Hills and its surrounding communities with the light and truth of Jesus. I have a huge heart for that for the church. But that work of mission cannot come at the expense of getting to the gospel, getting the gospel to people who have never heard the gospel. Your neighbors are not unreached people. They're reached. You're there. But there are literally people this morning on this planet who have no access to the name of Jesus. They literally have never heard him. They've never heard how good he is. They've never heard how amazing he is. They've never heard the good news that he's died for their sins. They've never heard that he's the risen king. They literally have never heard his name. And it is the work of the church to bring the good news of Jesus to those who have not heard. The command is clear. The question is, have we heard it? When my, when my youngest, uh, my, sorry, my oldest son, when he was little, he had this um, slightly annoying habit when I would tell him to do something of saying, huh. I would say like, hey, Isaiah, can you go clean your room? And he would go, huh? Hey, Isaiah, you need to finish your dinner, huh? It's like, at some point as a father, right, I was like, um, I don't think I can say this any more plainly. Huh? Sometimes I think when it comes to the call of the church to make disciples among the nation, we have a huh mentality. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. We go, huh? Me? Huh? Use your resources, your time, your treasure. Do what you can to work so that my name can be spread to the ends of the earth. Huh? Don't I have other things to do? Like leverage what you can. Go, baptize, teach. Huh? Like, and I wonder if Jesus is like, I, I can't make it clearer. Like, I, I can't. This is the task I've given you. One day I'm going to come back. One day I'm going to return. Until then, the role of the church is to bring the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth until the knowledge of God fills the earth like the water covers the sea. That's the purpose. The reality is when it comes to the command, we often, too, often look more for caveats than we look for obedience. We try to find excuses why we don't have to make disciples. That's someone else's task. Someone else's job is to be the one who's actively seeking to see how the gospel can come to the ends of the earth. We have a huh mentality. But I want to remind us, no, the command is clear. Now, just because it's clear doesn't mean it's easy. The command takes commitment. It takes a commitment from the people of God to be about the work of God, no matter the cost that is required. There are 3,000 people groups today that are unengaged with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means there's less than 2% of Christians living among them. There's literally thousands of people groups who don't have any Christians leading among them. And the reality is, there are 3,000 people groups that are unengaged, not because it's easy, but because it's 
hard to bring the gospel there. There are 24 million people in North Korea right now who have almost little to zero access to the gospel. It is not easy to get the gospel into North Korea. The church has suffered more persecution and martyrdom in the last century than all the previous centuries combined. Like Isaiah, we've been given a message, and our message is a good message. It's the good news of Jesus, but that doesn't mean that our message is well or easily received. That doesn't mean that those who go to spread the good news of Jesus don't face hostility, persecution, pushback from the powers and entities of the world that want to keep people enslaved to sin. The command to bring the gospel to the nations takes commitment. It costs the lives of every single apostle that heard this message the first time it was given. And if we are to see the gospel spread to unreached people groups, let's not kid ourselves. It is not easy. It takes resolve and commitment, but it is what we are called to do. We are called to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And because it's clear and because it takes commitment, it's my third point that I want to wrap up and close on, that the command to make disciples of all nations, it involves all of us. The command that Jesus gives is both collective and individual. It's for every disciple of Jesus to embrace, that we are part, to be part of God's work of, disciple, of making disciples among the nations. But it's also collective. It's a work that we are called to do together. Each of us have a role to play in God's mission. It is the work of the church and the work of each part of Christ's body to be a part, to be a part of God's command to make disciples of all nations. And throughout this series, that's why we want to have the sorts of hearts that make ourselves available, like Isaiah, that say, here I am, God, use me. Let me play the role that you have for me. What purpose you have for me, show that so I can be surrendered to what you want to do. And hopefully you've been cultivating that heart. But maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, I hear that. I feel my heart stirred. But like, what can I actually do to be a part of what God wants to do in bringing the gospel to those that don't have it? I'll give you three things that every single one of us can do and one thing that some of us have to do. First, you can pray. Prayer is powerful. It is the means by which God accomplishes his purpose on the world. And if we are to be a people who make disciples of all nations, we must be a people who pray for the unreached and unengaged and pray that God would send the people with the truth of his gospel to proclaim that message there. It was Jesus who says in Luke 10 to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We have to be people who pray regularly for those that don't know Jesus. And not just don't know Jesus, those that have never heard the name of Jesus, who are in those people groups. You're like, okay, well, how do I do that? I'll give, you, I'll give you two easy ways. Here's one. Sorry, I forgot to bring my book up with me. One, you can get a copy of Operation World, right? This book catalogs every nation in the world, every ethnic group of people. You can order these online. You can literally go through and just discover even someone that God might prick your heart that you could pray for regularly that God would bring the gospel among them. If you want to see this, I'll leave it up here afterwards. You're happy to leaf through it. Or you can do what I do. I have an app on my phone called Prayer Mate. That app 
gives me a feed from the Joshua Project, which tracks unreached people groups around the world. It daily gives me a people group. Well, I just set it up daily. I was doing it a couple days a week. Now I'm doing it daily. It gives me a people group to pray for so that I can regularly draw my attention and my prayer life around people who don't know Jesus and be praying that God would send laborers among them so they might hear the good news of Jesus. You can pray. You can give. It takes resources to get the gospel to the unreached. And you can use your resources. Some of you make a lot of money in this room. Some of us don't make as much. All of us have been privileged with more than we need, and we can give our resources towards ensuring that the gospel gets to those that don't have it. I mean, that's why we've done this global expansion campaign, because we want, as Woodside, to be faithful to say, how do we get the gospel to people that don't know it? And we're partnering with workers like Kim Smith, who's, I've heard, in Liberia, who's literally sending out missionaries on motorcycles into the bushes of Africa to get to tribes that no one's engaged yet. Like, we want to be part of that work. We're trying to structure ourselves here at Woodside. But I don't want us to be a people either, because this is what I'm afraid of, who just hands off that responsibility, who just says, okay, I'll write a check and trust. The reality is, here's the statistic, the reality is of all the missions giving that's given in America, and again, we want to be different here, but the truth is of all the missions giving that's given in America, less than 1% goes towards unreached and unengaged people. If you give towards mission, do you know if your money is going to help get the gospel to places that it isn't? The most effective way to reach unreached people groups, it has not changed in 2,000 years, is long-term missionaries. People who willingly give up their life and their vocation to labor, to learn languages, to study cultures, so they can bring the truth of Jesus. They need our resources. Do you have people and partners that you're connected with who are working and doing that work so that you can be praying for them and supporting them and caring for them? Don't just leave it up to your church. You can embrace that practice as well. Third thing, sorry, you got me on a soapbox this morning. I'm trying, to, trying not to overwhelm you, but it's just so passionate for me. The third thing is disciple. If we are to see disciples made among the nations, then we need to be wholeheartedly committed to discipleship here. If we're not working to make disciples here, how can we raise up the people that God might call to go to the nations. We are called to make disciples, and we're called to disciple, to teach them to obey Jesus' command, that they would have a heart for the nation. This is the nature. And oftentimes, I wonder if we've forsaken the reality of long-term missions in our society because we've given up on personal discipleship. We need to make disciples. You need to make disciples. We need to make disciples. Making disciples is not for, for professional Christians. Discipleship's for every Christian. It's what we're called to do. And the other beautiful thing about where we live is the nations are at our doorstep. I mean, there are literally hundreds of people groups represented within a 10-mile radius of here. I mean, hasn't it been amazing just hearing all the different people in our congregation and the languages they read in from these last three weeks? It's a reminder, like the nations are here. And if we make disciples here, we have the opportunity to impact those nations back home as well. Let's be faithful in making disciples here. And then finally, so that's all of us can do that. And here's my prayer. My prayer is all of us do that. 
that every single Christian in this room would be committed to praying for the unreached, giving towards the unreached, and seeking to make disciples here so that the unreached can be engaged. But here's the last thing that some of us need to do. You need to go. Some of you need to surrender your life to the Lord in such a way because the Spirit is calling to give up your life for the sake of reaching people who don't know Jesus. It's a sacrifice that's high. I've watched my own parents do it. And I've watched others. It's not something you take lightly. But friends, it is eternally important that we follow God's call to those of us that he calls to go to bring the gospel to the nations. And some of you, in the sound of my voice, are called to that. We have to go. We have to send. We have to be faithful. And if that's you this morning, man, that's why we have things like the Global 100 at Woodside because we hopefully want to raise up 100 long-term missionaries that are willing to give their lives for the sake of bringing the gospel among the unreached. We want to be part of that work. And if God's stirring your heart, man, let's have a conversation. I want to help you know what that looks like and how you can begin to move towards that. But the question that still remains before all of us is, will we live like Isaiah, surrendered, surrendered to him, with a here-I-am-send-me mentality. I think the saddest thing for me as I reflect on us is that somehow we would miss the call of God because our hearts aren't surrendered before him. I mean, C.T. Studd, I love, I'll leave you with this line from him because I think he challenges us to consider our own lives and how they can be used for God's glory. During his life, he wrote a well-known poem. And I just want to offer you two stanzas to consider, for you to consider this morning. He opens the poem this way. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done, then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We have one life. One day Jesus will return. Until that day, he's given us one life to be used for the purpose of his mission around the world. Do you know the call of God upon your life? I'm here because God called me to be here. Do you have that same conviction about how you live, about what you do, about how you use your resources and your time? I pray that you do. I'm not saying that in a sense of pride. I genuinely believe God places calls upon our hearts that when we follow and obey, we get to see God do incredible things through our life for the sake of his fame and his glory among the nations. I want you to experience that. And that's why the way I want to end this is by inviting you back to that place of surrender to go before the Lord again, like Isaiah, and say, here I am, send me. Use me for your sake. Use my business, use my job, use my money. Use whatever I've got so that your fame can be spread to the ends of the earth. God is still calling across his people who will go for us, 
who will I send? May we all respond like Isaiah with hearts that say, here I am, send me. So I want to invite you to surrender this morning. So I'm going to pray for us just to close our time to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And then we're going to sing a song of surrender. And I just want to invite you to use the words of it. It reminds us of Jesus and what he's done, but it calls us back to that place of saying, God, I'm here for you, for however you want to use it. He'll give you the details. He'll work it out. Our starting point is just to surrender our lives to him. So let me pray for us and then we'll sing. Father, we thank you in this moment for your, just your grace. God, that you would, that you would see fit to involve us in your internal plans is amazing. That you, you would love us enough to save us, to bring us in, but not just leave us in, to send us out with purposes to see your glory, to experience you in deep ways, to know you, to see others come to know you. What an incredible privilege that you have given us, God. We say thank you for that this morning. God, I pray for all of us in this room, even as we respond to your word, I pray for myself that you would bring us back to just that simple place of surrender deep within our hearts. We don't know what all that entails. We don't know where you will lead us. But what you're asking for is not for us to know the details, but for us to trust you as our great, glorious king. So would you help us to do that this morning? Spirit, would you come? Would you stir within our hearts a desire for the nations? And would you allow us to surrender to the command of Christ? Do the work in our hearts that only you can do right now. We invite you to do that in this place. And we ask in the mighty name of Jesus that you would. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.